0: Happy Thanksgiving weekend and on this Thanksgiving weekend we are in the last Sunday of our series called Sundays It's been five weeks exploring why we do what we do as a Christian church specifically on Sundays So we started off by coming together and asking the question Why do we gather? Why do you show up here? Then we, began, we, we continued the conversation the week after, and we said, why do we sing? Then we said, why do we preach? Last week, Mike discussed why we pray. And this week, we're talking about why we give. Why was there a moment, do you want to close those doors back there? Amazing, thank you. Why was there a moment when Pastor Jerry stood up here and said, If you consider Soul Sanctuary, your home church community, consider giving your tithe here. In the announcements that rolled on the screen before you came in, why was there a slide that said you can give via this method or this method or this method? Why was there a, or why is there, a little box, a plastic box right by those back doors that says Joy Basket on it? And there's a couple envelopes and a POS machine. Why why do we do that? Why on Sundays do we give? This rounds out our Sunday series. And if you recall, the whole purpose of this, the whole purpose of the last five weeks has been that we, as Soul Sanctuary Church, may come together with a renewed passion and conviction, understanding why we do what we do so that our actual doing of them is filled with all the more meaning all the more significant that we're not just Christian drones to do the same thing over and over and over, but it's a chance to stop, to think for a moment. Why is it that we do what we do? So why, Soul Sanctuary, do we give? This is great. I'm not going to lie to you. I love talking about money in church. I do. It's one of those things for me, in my role as the executive pastor, a lot of a lot of the uh, financial things, the budgetary things, those things move through me, and I'm very passionate about it. My wife and I run a small business. In order to run that business, you have to have some understanding of how money works, and so I just enjoy the topic. Now, some of you are like, this is my first Sunday in church in 25 years, and this boy is talking about money. Welcome to Soul Sanctuary. See, we all have strong feelings about money. We have strong feelings about finances. At 4% inflation in August, like we really feel it, right? You had chicken instead of turkey at Thanksgiving. That was what was on the news the other day because you feel it. We all we all feel it. And so we bring our preconceived notions about money and finances into this conversation. And some of you, your guard is like sky-high, and some of you, you're like decently interested but you're a little bit reserved, and some of you, you're just along for the ride. And I think this, this, we have different attitudes when it comes to money. I've talked before about how I am a fiscal conservative, I'm a saver. In my marriage relationship, I'm a saver and my wife is the spender. There, there's the two of us and we balance each other out beautifully. She's like, I want an Aritzia sweater for my gift card. And I'm like, how about two shares of Aritzia, you know what I'm saying, honey? It's just like, whatever. We we balance each other out. I would live in a tiny apartment and and never, you know, whatever. It's just who I am. We're not even gonna get into it. But I also think there's some attitudes in here that you're neither spender nor saver. I, I think there's a bit of an ostrich mentality around money for some people. Like the stick your head into the sand type mentality. And maybe for a couple different reasons. Some of you, you're afforded that luxury because you know that there's always going to be money in your account for one reason or another. So you actually don't think quite often about money because you just do what you want to do. You move forward in life. You don't really have to pay attention to it. Now some of you, you don't pay attention to money because you don't know if there's going to be enough in the account and it just stresses you out to look at, right? So you don't look at it. Somebody in the back waved, that's me. It's like you just don't look at it because you're just not sure And you pray every time you tap your card, right? You're just like, all right, Lord Jesus. And so there's a variety of different perspectives around money and finances. But the subject of giving, it confronts every single one of us. This, on Thanksgiving weekend, the subject of giving confronts you and confronts me. Whether you're a saver like me... It challenges me to not hoard wealth for myself. Whether you're a spender like my wife, it challenges you to give instead of to spend on yourself. And if you're an ostrich when it comes to your finances with your head in the sand, it, it challenges you, it confronts you, whatever side of the spectrum you're on. Because giving is a conscious choice. Giving is an act that you choose to do, to give to others. An act of generosity does not happen without you coming to the point of making the decision that I'm going to give something away. So whoever you are and whatever your story has been with money and finances, today this subject confronts you. Today this subject confronts me. Our scripture passage for this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read it together and, and kind of stop on our way through just to explain what's going on here. So if you know the, the Bible, sorry, PowerPoint team, I'm going to explain it first, but if you know anything about the Bible, you know there's two letters to the Corinthians that are in our New Testament. And in that first letter, which we taught through here at Seoul during the pandemic, it was paul addressing the dumpster fire of the church that is the church in corinth it is they are doing very bad things and paul's calling them out he's like you can't sleep with your stepmom something like that now in second corinthians which is presumably presumably written later we're quite confident of that paul is actually saying to the corinthians You've gotten better at this, and you've gotten better at this. And and thank you for listening to my instruction in this area as well. And we're building something here. We're not the dumpster fire anymore. God is using you for a good purpose, and we're moving forward together. And then in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches... In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now the context here is that Macedonian churches, this would be northern Greece... And Corinth is in southern Greece, and Paul is writing to the, the church in Corinth, the southern Greece church, which is a beautiful port city, a lot of wealth and, and commerce is moving in and out of the city, as opposed to some of the landlocked churches in northern Greece that are suffering from extreme poverty. And Paul says to them, to the, to the, ones, the rich ones in the south, that the poor ones in the north, they have given a generous gift. Now we need to go back to the first letter to the Corinthians to understand what Paul's talking about and who is this gift for. And we find that in 1 Corinthians 16, where Paul says the Christians in Jerusalem are under extreme duress. They've got nothing to eat. They've got no roofs over their head. We as Christians across the rest of the Roman Empire need to support them. So whoever you are, let's consider the needs of our brothers in Jerusalem, and let's take up an offering to give to them so that their daily needs can be met. Paul also talks about how this new Christian thing, you know, remember Jesus was a Jew, and this emerged from the Jewish faith that God brought about salvation through, for all people through the Jews, and you Gentiles, you non-Jews, This is an opportunity for you to recognize that those Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are your brothers and sisters, and that you're unified in the bloodline of Christ. So this is an opportunity for you to demonstrate it with your money. So let's give together. So making an example of the Macedonian churches, Paul tells the Corinthian church to give, and to give generously. We pick it up in verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Here Paul is saying it doesn't quite make sense what they've done. They had overflowing joy, plus extreme generosity— and extreme poverty so it's like overflowing joy plus extreme poverty in the case of the macedonian churches has welled up in overflowing generosity as they given as they've taken up this collection and given it to the church in jerusalem and paul's saying this is something for you o corinthians to learn from the ones who have nothing are choosing to give everything And it's kind of crazy because they came to us. Like, we weren't even going to put that burden on them. They came to us and said, if you're letting everybody else participate in the collection, we want to participate too. And Paul's like, but you got nothing. And they're like, we will give something. Verse 5. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord... And then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, Titus just, as, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. He's saying, I've sent Titus to talk to you about this subject before. So I've sent Titus again to finish the job. He's going to come and he's going to take the collection from you so we can give it to the church in Jerusalem. Verse 7, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. This is a far cry from 1 Corinthians, like, don't sleep with your mother-in-law and, you know, don't squish the poor under the table while you eat without them. He's saying, no, you actually... You actually are full of these virtues. And I see them in you. And I praise them in you. But now we're moving on to the next virtue. See to it that you excel in the grace of giving. Verse 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I'm not commanding you. Like, you don't have to give, but here's the deal. If you don't, I know how much you love your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. That's uh, that's like low-grade manipulation. Okay, cool, Paul. The word of God for the people of God, let's not forget. And then finally, and he makes his point. So he ties verse 9 into verse 8. Verse 8 is... I'm not commanding you, but I do want to test the sincerity of your faith, or sincerity, not of your faith, of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And then he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. And In verse 9, he's not talking about financially rich. Jesus was not financially rich. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus would have made a living wage enough to support him and his family. But Paul's saying, he who is God, Jesus Christ, the Son, gave his life for you so that you might have everything in his kingdom, that you might have a life full, in his kingdom. So will you, Corinthian church, give of your material possessions to support those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ who have nothing? And this text frames our conversation this morning as we ask the question specifically for us here at Soul, why do we give? First, Here at Soul Sanctuary, we give because giving financial resources to God is an essential act of worship as outlined in the scriptures and as evidenced throughout church history. The giving of financial resources has always been first and foremost before anything else, an act of worship to God. And here's where we just need to stop right off the bat. And we need to say, anytime that we are talking about church finances, we are not just talking about church finances. Anytime we talk about revenue for a church, we're not talking about revenue. We are first and foremost principally talking about our gathered act of worship to God. Because the moment that churches begin to talk about revenue and they begin to talk about income, and that's the only part of our conversation, is the moment that church becomes a business. It's the moment that we begin to skew off mission. It's the moment that we are no longer putting Jesus first. So any conversation that happens in this community about money is a conversation about worship. The giving of funds. I saw a dad and his son stop at the joy basket on the way in this morning Presumably write an envelope together and put it in together That is not just What pays to keep the lights on? That is an act of worship that a father has then modeled to his son. This is what we do son And I trust he said why we do it As we look into the scriptures tithes and offerings were commanded for the people of Israel You can read right throughout the Old Testament, and we we will repeatedly come into the conversation about tithes and offerings. Now, a tithe simply means a tenth. The people of Israel were commanded to give at least three tithes, which equated to about 23.333% of their annual income. So this was then given either to the priests or to the temple and then deposited with them and it covered a variety of purposes. It ensured that temple worship could continue, ensured that the priests could live and could eat, it ensured that the poor were taken care of. This is ancient Israel. On top of their three tithes that they gave, two were annual, one was triannual On top of that were offerings. Different festivals and parties that were thrown and different collections for the poor. An offering would have been over and above the tithe and would have been given away. It's like we're all going to come together in Jerusalem and we're going to party. But we all kind of need to pay our part. Like who's going to pay for the party? Now when we add it all up and we see how much the people of ancient Israel gave away, it doesn't make sense to our Western minds. Why would they give so much of their income away over and above their taxes, over and above feeding their family? Why did they give so much away as an act of worship, as participation in, in, in the, the religious system, in the sacrificial system, as an act of devotion to God? Why did they give it all away? And the answer to that hangs in an ancient uh, psalm. Psalm chapter 24, it begins, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas, and established it on the waters. The reason they gave so much away is because it wasn't theirs to begin with. And the understanding of wealth as something that belonged to me as I log into my RBC bank portal and I see my name and it greets me. Hello, Jordan. Welcome back. It's not mine. That anything that I've been entrusted with is actually God's. And that's just it. He's entrusted me with provision, so that I can go on about doing his work. This is what grounds the ancient Israelite practice of giving away wealth, of giving away the first fruits off the field, of giving away, period, and understanding that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that he is the creator, and thereby anything I have, I am simply stewarding on behalf of my creator." The tithe then becomes normative for Jesus. Jesus, being an ancient Jew as well, he understood that the tithe, Jesus would have paid his tithe to the temple. And it's quite interesting. Jesus would have paid it as an act of worship to God, and in Mark 12, remember this summer we're going through Mark and there's this story of Jesus sitting in the temple treasury and he's watching people come and put their money in and it's like clinking down the, the noisemaker uh, ram's horns made of gold into the little offering box and he's just watching it all. And there are some people that are just like throwing lots of wealth in and then a lady comes in and she drops two copper coins and they clink down into the box and Jesus praises her. Why? Because her giving is an act of worship. It's an act of devotion. This poor woman who had nothing gave her everything, as opposed to the rich who gave all sorts of things. But Jesus places the dichotomy. He's saying there's the poor who is giving her everything, and the rich who are just giving for because they can. And it becomes an attitude of the heart. It's also interesting this, and and this is a wake-up call for for pastors. It's that Jesus praises this woman for putting those two copper coins in that box despite the fact that she is funding the very system that is oppressing her. So first and foremost, we all know, we're reading it, because the next, the, like the literal next verses is Jesus saying, the ones who are receiving this money from this poor widow are the ones who have robbed her of her home. And he gives them a word of judgment. And so it's a wake-up call for anyone who stewards someone else's act of worship. That there is a a word of judgment from Jesus himself for those who do not steward it well. But Jesus still praises, despite that she's giving to a crooked and corrupt institution, Jesus still praises her giving as an act of faith in her God, as an act of worship. In the New Testament, there is no command for you as a Christian to tithe. Rather, in the New Testament, what we see is that the tithe becomes the the operating principle by which Christians organize their financial lives. Because there's no command to give a, a tenth, Or three commands to give, you know, upwards of 23.3% annually to the church. But there is passages like 2 Corinthians 8. There's repeated remarks in the teachings of Jesus and in the foundation of the early Christian church. that, that, That your giving is an act of generosity that must flow freely from your heart. But it demands your everything. Just as Jesus gave up his everything for you, you give up your everything for others. This is the command. And so we see it in 2 Corinthians 8 at the end, where Paul's saying, I want to test your devotion, Corinthian church. I'm going to compare you to the impoverished ones north of you who gave everything. And it probably wasn't a lot, but they gave They wanted to participate in this act. And now it's your turn, Corinthians. It's your turn to give. We give because it's established in the scriptures that you and I, as followers of Jesus, must well up in generosity That we share the same understanding as ancient Israel in Psalm 24, that the whole earth is the Lord's, that he created it, and we are simply stewards of his good creation, using what he gives us for the good of the other and for the good of his kingdom. And Christians throughout history have abused this teaching. To this day, Christians abuse teachings on generosity for material gain, for the exploitation of others. I mean, it's nothing new. Look at Mark chapter 12. But this is one of the reasons we give. The scriptures instructs us. And the Christian tradition has been faithful to it. That in 2,000 years, the belief that as a follower of Jesus, we should well up in generosity and give away, using the tithe as the basic foundational principle through which to order our economic lives, is the right way to live As followers of Jesus. Number two. Why do we give? We we give because it transforms our hearts. As we learn to love. And to trust God. The act of giving. Is a formative act. It is an act that changes you. We often think. That in order for me to to be changed, I need to think my way into change. The reality is, no, you must do your way into change. We think that we are thinking things, but we are doing things. We are doing people. The, The act of riding a bicycle does not come to you if you can think through it. The act of riding a bicycle comes to you when you sit on the bike You white-knuckle the handles, and you begin to pedal. Only then are you a biker. Only then do you grow in the ability to get to your friend's house early on a Saturday morning to watch cartoons. As a Christian, you are to be a giver, and the only way that you well up in generosity is to actually practice it. Two weeks ago, we talked about the dominant narratives of our culture that you are a consumer, that you are one who, who, who simply chases the next technological innovation and you adapt it into your life because it's going to save you time. But it never ends up saving you time. It just allows you to do more actions in the same amount of time. And so we have these dominant cultural narratives. And as Christians, we need to stop. We need to say, hold on a second, who am I becoming? Who are the forces around me shaping me into? Just an abject consumer? No. must fight against that. And how do I do that? But to begin to give. When we came out of, we we taught a series last fall called God and Money. It was three weeks. There's There's a teaching about the tithe. Like if you want to go deep into the tithe, there's a teaching on our website. Just scroll down or on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. You can hear it. But coming out of that conversation, I had hosts of conversations with young people in our community about giving. And about tithing. And often it came to me that like, I am a student. I make minimum wage. I don't have much to give. And my response is always the same. It's, It's not about how much you can give. Your your couple dollars is not going to make a difference on the bottom line of Soul Sanctuary Church. It's not going to help us keep the lights on. But my challenge to each young person was to give a dollar a Sunday or a dollar a month. To scrape through the couches. To look closely on the floor in the movie theater afterwards. Find something. I mean, you paid for the movie, bro. Give a dollar a Sunday, a dollar a month. Why? Because it's not about what you give. The woman dropped in two small copper coins. It's about growing in the grace of giving, as Paul says. It's about swelling up generosity in your life so that you may one day, when you earn an income, be a generous person. You know, like inside, this is like what I struggle with. My wife, she loves to give away. She loves to give things to her friends. So she had a friend who just had a baby and she went out and she bought all these things for her friend and put together a care package and then I fought every urge. And now a previous version of Jordan doesn't win here, but this Jordan won. I fought every urge to say, well, how much did that cost? And how much did that cost? And how much did that cost? And you know we could have got it cheaper if you didn't go to Save on Foods, babe. I fought every urge. But in that moment, for me, recognizing that if we, as a partnership, are going to be generous people, then it's not about how much it costs. And if I really cared, I would have volunteered to go to the grocery store, you know? It's not about how much it costs. It's about practicing generosity. It's about giving to those in need. And that's the kind of person that I want to be that's the kind of person i'm commanded to be and so i probably got to take her lead on that one anyways it's transformative of our it transforms our hearts as we learn to love and trust god your 1 dollar of sunday tithe begins a work in you as you do it you become a giver as you do it you become a generous person martin luther the reformer, he said that there are three conversions that are necessary. That of the heart, your affections must be turned to Christ. That of the mind, you must begin to think like a Christian. And that of the purse, that we hold our money dearly, that we hold it close. And for some of you who are like me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We do our way into the transformation of our heart. We don't think our way into the transformation of our hearts. We do it. We begin with a dollar and then we challenge ourselves to not ask our wife how much our act of generosity costs. We do our way into being generous people in obedience to the scriptures. Now we grow in love of God as the idol of money is destroyed. I prop money up in my heart as an idol. It's something I worship. It's not something I want to worship, but it is something that gets my attention, it gets my affection, it gets my love. And in the act of giving away, I unseat the idol of money from my heart, and I grow in love for my Savior because I'm giving in obedience to Him. And as I give in obedience, I cultivate in my heart a love. I also cultivate in my heart trust. Because as I give away, I trust that he's going to meet my needs. As I give away, I trust that he's going to show up for me. As I give away, I trust that one way or another, by miraculous provision, the Lord is going to figure it out for us. So we give because it transforms our hearts. We love, we grow in love, and we grow in trust. And here, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's on full display. It's the Macedonian church. They've grown in their love for God, where first and foremost, love dictates their being. They've grown in trust for God to give to the saints in Jerusalem. Because first and foremost, trust in who God is, as the creator of all, dictates what they do. And so they ask Paul and Titus and the fellow apostles, please, please, we know we're poor, but take it. Take it for them. Let us join in the grace of giving. And so for you and me, we grow, or the act of giving, the act of giving our dollar a Sunday or whatever it's going to be, is an act in which we submit ourselves to our Savior, to the teachings in the Scripture, and we begin to grow, and we begin to grow. All of that stems from the reality that God created, that he is the creator, that he owns everything, but also that he is, as creator, the chief gift giver. He is the chief gift giver. He is the best gift giver. You may know this verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That God is the chief gift giver, that he is the best gift giver, that he provides for the northern Macedonians in first century Greece, and that he provides for you and me in 21st century Western world, Canada, Winnipeg. Finally, we give. We give because giving transforms the world through the work of the local church. Why do we say you can give e-transfer or you can give on recurring automated payments or you can give at the joy basket? Why do we say all these things? Because we have a fundamental belief that your generosity affects a positive change in this neighborhood, in this city, in this province, in this nation, in this world. We actually believe that. And if you're here for uh, baptisms a couple Sundays ago, Jing, I see you. If you watch Jing's story and her baptism a couple weeks ago, you're like, oh yeah, checks out. As you see a, a woman's life transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're like, checks out. We're making a change here. We're making a, a positive difference here. Again, this comes back on those like like me. It comes back on you, Pastor Jerry. What do we do with the financial acts of worship that are given to this church? Are they put to good use? Are they making a difference for the good of God's kingdom? Remember last week, as Mike was uh, asking the question, why do we pray? So we pray, as Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. We pray, and as we pray, your kingdom come. We are joining with him in the renewal of all things in the beauty that he is making out of our mess. We join with him in that and funds given, acts of worship given to a local church body must be put towards those ends. A very tangible example from last November, we had our legacy offering. We we said we're going to take a moment and we're going to look to the future and we're going to give our financial resources for a cause. And here's the cause, we're going to break it down for you. And uh, this week in your email inbox, you'll see a detailed breakdown of exactly what your legacy offering funds went to and the change that they made. But right now, those who are watching can see me because you gave money that just put some lights in that simply made the stage watchable on the cameras that we have. Just like that. So for those who couldn't get out, I mean, some of you can't actually get out of bed. Some of you chose not to get out of bed, online people. Why we gather, go back four weeks, watch that one. But but there are people who they watch because they can't get out of bed. But now they can see what happens up here because of you. A small change. The taste in your coffee, a smaller change. But a fun one to keep mentioning. The atrium seating that there's some chairs there for your butts to go into, and there's a whole bunch more coming, small change. That that can be used, that space can be used by our community seven days a week as they use our facility for all sorts of things, small change. The hiring of a children's pastor, Matt I see you, your daughter's not with you right now because I'm assuming she's in that grade one to two classroom, that's right. The hiring of a children's pastor which allows us to expand our ministry to children. And that you, with one to two-year-olds, and now there's an age four classroom, specific dedicated classroom to help them make that transition, to meet them where they're at in their learning development. These are changes that you, as a community, brought on in your giving. Over and over and over, we can see the goodness and faithfulness of God in the life of the community through the obedience of His people. As I said, the emphasis then is to be an accountable community, to be a transparent community, to be a community that continues in its pursuit to make disciples of all nations in obedience to the scriptures and to Jesus' teaching. That's who we want to be at soul. And the church... Making a difference in the neighborhood, in the city, in the province, in the world, the church, when she's at her best, when she is accountable, when she is transparent, when she is uncompromising on her mission, the church is the greatest force for social change throughout Christian history. The church is the greatest force for the change of hearts and minds in Christian or in in world history. The church can be a force that brings about profound change that governments could only dream of. And the question for us is, to what degree will we participate in it? And to the question of those in leadership is, to what degree will we steward it? And finally, we go back to what Paul says right at the end of that address to the Corinthians. For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich, that you might know the insurpassable riches of his grace, that you might know the insurpassable riches of his love, that you might know the insurpassable riches of a relationship with Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And so we follow in his example. That is why we give. Would you stand with me? I think any sermon about money is best rooted in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus of what he paid on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and his victory, the inauguration of his kingdom of which we are citizens. So sanctuary we give because the giving of our financial resources to God is an essential act of our worship. We give because it transforms our hearts as we learn to love and trust God. And we give because our giving transforms the world through the work of the local church. In times of old, the one giving a blessing would extend hands, and those receiving a blessing would do likewise. No magic, no tricks, simply a word for you, rooted in Scripture, as you go, would you extend your hands with me? Soul Sanctuary, as you go, go knowing that your God is a generous God. Go boasting in nothing else but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Go growing in generosity as the Holy Spirit enables you. Go knowing the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and that the presence of the Holy Spirit goes with you. Go in peace, and we'll see you next Sunday.